I've heard about biochar being used as an enhancement for soil fertility. I'm glad that we're now having a chance to find out more about it. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of September 5, 2013. We're delighted today to have a chance to visit with David Domermuth. Dr. Domermuth is an associate professor at Appalachian State University in the Department of Technology and Environmental Design. He and his team are working to develop a process of making biochar, that magical amendment to soil that increases its fertility so dramatically, but they're doing it in a way that makes it economically feasible. That is, it doesn't just cost money. They can actually figure out a way to generate energy from the production process. So we're delighted to have a chance to visit with him today, Dr. David Domermuth. First, I need to get on, on out of the way at the beginning. You're not an agricultural or horticultural guy. You're an industrial designer. Please tell me you've at least grown a few tomatoes in your garden. It's actually a more complicated story than that. I'm really an engineer, and that's why I've gotten into alternative energy. But yes, I'm an avid landscaper, a gardener. I have a two-acre lot that's got about a quarter acre of landscape, and that's my passion. So I guess you're getting ready to use some of this magnificent biochar you're producing in your lab. Sure, absolutely. Well, good. And I, we thought it might be good for uh, most of our listeners, if they're uninitiated as I am, just to tell us briefly what biochar is. Okay, biochar is the same thing as charcoal, and it's essentially the same coals as you get if you have a campfire and it gets down to a bed of coals, and then you were to put out those coals, the, the light charcoal that's left over is essentially biochar. And so how is it helpful in promoting soil fertility. All right. The biochar does many good things for the soil, uh, but the, the primary thing that we like it for is the, the, um, the cell structure of biomass becoming char has billions of little cavities, and in those cavities, microorganisms can grow. It, the, the little cavities protect the microorganisms from, uh, from harmful other organisms, and because of all those organisms, they can uh, grab onto nutrients in the soil, and then plants can get those nutrients from the char. And we know that uh, ancient civilizations developed the process of making biochar thousands of years ago, and that the fertility from the soil remaining from that biochar is improved even today, correct? Correct microorganisms can actually um, pull more carbon from the atmosphere. So not only this, it's, it's amazing because we're putting carbon back into the soil, which helps to retain nutrients. It also adds silt and it lowers the pH. So it does other good things. It also holds water. It does about 20 good things. These are just the main ones. Um, but 
because it keeps pulling carbon from the air, it kind of perpetuates itself. Now, one of the things about your research that makes it distinctive is that you are not only trying to produce biochar in usable quantities, you're also trying to do it in a way that's economical by harnessing as much of the energy as possible that is a byproduct of that process. Would you tell us a little bit about how you're accomplishing that, David? We started into this char business about five years ago, just learning how to make biochar, and pretty quickly figured out it, it was relatively hard to do. It took a lot of energy to make it, and it just wasn't a lot of fun. So we kind of put that aside and thought about it for a while and decided that there had to be more to making biochar if this was going to be viable. So I went to a biomass conference in St. Louis and heard about pyrolysis oil. And that was kind of the trigger. It took me a little while longer. But we came up with a whole system that he was still working on it. So far, we haven't had any stop, stop signs saying this won't work. But we're actually doing a number of things at the same time. We heat up biomass, and usually this is wood chips, turn it into biochar. But the way we do it is we heat it up in a vessel called retort. So it's like an enclosed, it's an enclosed uh, vessel. Um, you can think about it like a pressure cooker on the top of a stove. And this is an oxygen-starved environment, right? Yes, correct. It's, we, we're doing this in the absence of oxygen. Um, that way we can make and control the really good biochar. But what comes out of that are a number of good products when you heat it up. We're heating it up and uh, essentially smoking gas comes out and we condense all of the, the, the smoke into what's called either pyrolysis oil, some people call it biocrude, some people call it bio oil. And then that cleans up the gas stream so that we get uh, a fuel gas out of this that you can run into a generator and make electricity. And the whole, the whole process is making some heat so we can use all of that excess heat for combined heat and power. And in our case, we're using it to heat a greenhouse. So this is truly um, not only a means of, in a, in a way that seems to be lowering the carbon footprint in terms of, and, and helping that cycle um, as far as using it on your soil, it also sounds as if it's a way to um, achieve a little bit more environmentally friendly means of producing energy, right? Correct. One of the nice things about this is potentially this is more friendly than Mother Nature is to itself. Because if you compost biomass, it'll turn into a lot of methane. With this system, Potentially, the only products left, um, you know, when you when you burn the fuel gas, is water and carbon dioxide, which is you know, smaller molecules and more friendly, and you know, less greenhouse gas. Well, let me ask you this: um, You mentioned starting out with wood. Uh, first of all, is there any particular limitation on what type of wood can be used? And then, secondly. Um, how much wood does it take to produce, let's say, a pound of biochar or whatever units you wanted to think of it in terms of? Sure. Um, we can get about 40%. Of, if you start with you know, 10 pounds, you can get about 4 pounds of biochar. It, it varies on your temperature, um, but 
that you know the fire char is very light, and it depends on how wet you know your wood is to begin with. But it can be it, the biomass can be anything. So we actually do it more like by volume, and okay. you, you get about forty percent by volume. Uh, you start with a big barrel full of bio biomass, and that includes all the air and everything in there. And when you're done, it's, it's dropped down to a little less than half. Now, let me speak very personally, David. I know that we use a lot of wood chips here on our farm. And if I have a pile of wood chips, it won't take long before that pile is rather moist inside. What do you do? I assume that would be uh, a very bad thing for a biochar production system to have a lot of moisture in the wood chips. So what do you do to dry out your wood chips before you use them in this process? Okay, thank you, Lee. That's a great question. Because when you start thinking about any one of these environmentally friendly, low-cost um, systems, we more think about a community of, of companion systems. So the greenhouse itself uh, is, a, is one way to act as a solar dryer. But just having a, you know, we're going to, we plan to build solar dryers to promote them. But here again, just using sunshine in something like a greenhouse or, you know, a, a, it could be like a cold frame, but in this case it's a hot frame, where we're putting the wood chips in there to dry them out and just being patient to get as much moisture out before we want to process it. I have seen your production system portrayed on your video, and I've read your paper describing it. And by the way, you're a wonderful writer, David. It's oh, just rare to read an academic paper that's genuinely funny, and yours is. I congratulate you. Thank um, you. When I've when I've looked at it, it looks as if the as if the the raw materials are the kind of things that normally you could buy locally. They, it doesn't look all that exotic. Absolutely. I guess my question for you is: uh, Do you now know about what it would cost an individual uh, farmer or? an individual person who wanted to do this, to set up a system like your, uh, I'm going to use the one that's portrayed in the video, which looks like it's producing uh, biochar by the trash can full. One of our goals was to create, create these systems, and um, I'll put it this way, we're, we're really creating these systems so that we could take them to the develop, to developing countries. You know, we happen to be doing it in a very rich, developed country, but uh, that is one of our our target or audiences. And we're always thinking, well, what would they have in a developing country that they could use? Which is one of the reasons we're using as many barrels, because you know, a 55-gallon barrel is pretty universal all around the world. Um, at the same time, we are trying to make systems that everybody in America could use um, and for one thing, we want it to be safe, economical, um, and that's why we're using plumbing piping, we're using barrels, uh, just the least expensive, simplest materials we can. Projecting right now, we're in the two to four thousand dollar range for a system. And if you if you ran it uh, like you you load it and run it in the morning, 
it would heat all day, and then you load it and run it at night, and it heats through the evening, and you just do this every day. I, I tried to get some return on investment uh, analysis, and potentially you could pay back that two to four thousand dollars in six months, and then you start making a profit. That sounds wonderful. And, yes, but we're still, we still we still have to prove that. Those are our best numbers. Um, so we won't know till we you just keep going through cycles and cycles and, and long you know long tests on it. Now tell us, we found out about your work when there was a write-up published about your most recent grant. Tell us what the most recent grant is for and what will be happening as a result of it. All right. Uh, let me tell you, there. the grant we just finished was through the EPA, and it's a student grant. Um, and that grant is, is um, People, Planet, and Prosperity. It's called P3. So from the beginning, we've always been about you know, creating a better world for people, uh, something that's economical so that we can help improve people's prosperity and good for the planet. The current grant uh, is through Western North Carolina communities, and it's coming from the North Carolina Department of Agriculture, Forestry, and Consumer uh, Products, uh, Consumer Services, I'm sorry. Uh, this money is geared towards uh, agriculture in Western North Carolina, uh, and from, primarily from an economic point of view, how to make uh, how to help Western North Carolina be more economical. So, since we're Appalachian State University is located in the, the beautiful mountains of North Carolina, it's great to live here. Uh, we're familiar with the woods. We're familiar with the economy in this part of the state, and we're we hope to have these systems located in the mountains, mountain region of uh, Western North Carolina, uh, helping um, improve the economy. But it's not limited to the mountains, of course. Well, we really admire what you're doing because you've mentioned how you're able to, or you're hoping to apply this, um, as you said, in many developing countries. But what if um, someone is the way we are? We're subsistence farmers. We're not really set up at this point to produce our own biochar. Is there a way that we could purchase some or a way we could get a hold of it? Part of this grant is earmarked to um, promote a biochar startup business. Uh, you can go online and just type in biochar for sale, and um, you'll find it at various prices. What, you re what we really need is a lot of people to go, this is going to be good. Um, uh, you know, farmer's market uh, will, would like to have it. Organic farmers would like it. And hopefully somebody in every community will start producing enough biochar for their local community as a, as a business. Um, and but, but right now, the word needs to get out. I don't, I don't think a lot of people really know about biochar yet. But do I need to have an engineering background, as you do, to be able to start up such a business? Absolutely not. Um, I think you need, to, you need to have an entrepreneurial spirit and a farmer's patience, and then, to me, it should be fun. If it's not fun, uh, we need somebody else to make it. But uh, I enjoy listening to, to the, the fun I hear in your voices. 
life should be good. And doing something like biochar, composting, uh, growing food for the community, uh, improving the planet at the same time, uh, it should all go together. You know, I agree with you when you say, David, that one of the largest challenges is simply getting the word out. We are continually surprised by the number of people who don't even know the word biochar. They don't even know what it is. So we spend a lot of our time telling people what biochar is and what it can mean to soil, even though we haven't had the chance to use any yet. Right, right. So perhaps um, those of us who are connected within our communities to others who, as you were pointing out, are interested in everything from growing our own food to community-supported agriculture to just helping the planet, uh, uh, one thing we can do, I'm hearing you say, is spread the word within that circle. Is there anything beyond that you'd recommend? Talking to you on the, on the phone right now so you can go out on your website helps. So thank you for, for that. Um, we're trying to get this into paper, into our local papers. Biomass Magazine is going to do an article on this work. We're, we're, the nice thing is this is sort of like a grassroots effort and just word of mouth, um, and then just connecting through the farmer's markets, I think, uh, will start to spread the word. By the way, for people that want to know, you need about 5% biochar by volume to um, for, for your garden or pot of plant or whatever. So it's not a lot of biochar, and you can simply make it um, by building a campfire, when you get down to coals, just just put them out with a garden hose, and then take that char. Uh, you should you should add some inoculant to it, some um, like some manure. Uh, let it sit around for a little bit, and then you can just put that right into your garden and see what happens. That's it, good it, it to can know. Be as simple as that. Yeah, and so you're saying for a, whatever the, in proportion to the amount of soil that's in your let's say a bed, you're saying five percent of that would would be the biochar. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good to know. David Dommermuth, thank you so much for visiting with us. It's been a lot of fun, and we are grateful for your work, and we want to continue to follow you in the days and years ahead. Thank you very much, Lee and Amanda. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. You too, David. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.